Our Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 18. Psalm 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. Thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he rewarded me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his rules were before me and his statutes I did not put away from me. I was blameless before him and I kept myself from guilt. So the Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful you show yourself merciful. With the blameless man you show yourself blameless. With the purified you show yourself pure. And with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop, and by my God I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? the God who equipped me with strength and made my way blameless. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. He trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. I pursued my enemies and overtook them and did not turn back till they were consumed. I thrust them through so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. 
for you equipped me with strength for the battle. You made those who rise against me sink under me. You made my enemies turn their backs to me, and those who hated me I destroyed. They cried for help, but there was none to save. They cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. I beat them fine as dust before the wind. I cast them out like the mire of the streets. You delivered me from strife with the people. You made me the head of the nations. People whom I had not known served me. As soon as they heard of me, they obeyed me. Foreigners came cringing to me. Foreigners lost heart and came trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who delivered me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You rescued me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations, and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king, and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 18 is almost identical to 2 Samuel chapter 22. Indeed, the title here at the beginning is taken from 2 Samuel 22 verse 1. A psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So, in Second Samuel 22, this comes at the end of David's life. This is this is the song that is sung as uh, it, it's not. I mean, we would call it at David's retirement party, uh, um, but this is as as David is coming to the end of his life. This is the the celebration of God's faithfulness to His King. As as we go through Book One of the Psalms, I've been encouraging you to always read the, the Psalms of David. And now, in book one, all we have are Psalms of David. So, uh, But in, in book two and later, there will be other Psalms not of David, and those Psalms don't work the same way, because they're not actually in the voice of David. So that's where it is important to take seriously what the Psalms say about whose voice is speaking here. This is David's voice. This is the celebration of God's faithfulness to, to David, to his anointed king, his faithfulness to his promises. And that's why as we sing the songs of David, it's always important to remember this, as Israel's, I mean, Israel's being taught to sing them. I mean, David, David's going to die, and Israel will keep singing these songs in David. And that's why we keep singing them in Christ. You really see how this is a retrospective, a reflection on God's faithfulness to David throughout the decades of his life. And you hear echoes of all over David's story. God's love for David was shown in that when David was in trouble, God rent the heavens. Yeah. Smoke came from his nostrils, fire from his mouth. If you're thinking, wow, that sounds like a dragon. Yes, that does sound like a dragon. God as the heavenly dragon who comes to rescue his people from their foes. I know in the book of Revelation, the dragon takes a more negative tone. But it's important to note that here you have, there, there, is, there is the heavenly dragon, the fire that comes from his mouth, God coming to the rescue of his people. When David was in trouble, God moved heaven and earth, laying bare the foundations of the world in order to deliver his chosen servant. And as we keep seeing, we have to sing this song with Jesus. 
Why do we love God? Well, it's because He loved us first. And He has loved us powerfully. God's love is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling that you have from time to time. God's love is demonstrated in his actions when he rescued Jesus from the grave and raised him up and seated him at his right hand. God has loved you by moving heaven and earth in order to save you. Our New Testament lesson comes from Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 11. Hear now the word of our God. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. This is the word of the Lord. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm going to suggest this is the same principle that is very much implicit in Psalm 18 as Israel sings with David. And that same principle Paul now makes explicit in Galatians 2. What Israel once sang with David, we now sing in Christ. And part of the difference is that in David... Uh, to put it kindly, it was aspirational. Psalm 18 in David has to see beyond the very obvious reality of David's flaws. You think of where we ended singing there in the first half of Psalm 18. He found me righteous with clean hands and so the Lord rewarded me. It would be challenging for many Israelites to sing that. After all, they'd be like, David? We know his story too well. I mean, This song doesn't come from some early stage when some people might think better of David than he deserved. This comes at the end of David's career after all his mistakes have been made. But that is why God's covenant with David matters. Because how does Psalm 18 end? Verse 50. 
great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. He shows steadfast love, chesed, to his anointed, to his Mashiach. This word that's translated anointed, Mashiach, is then translated Christos into Greek. So every time Paul says Christ, he's saying Mashiach, he's saying anointed, he's saying son of David. So listen to Galatians 2.20 again. I am crucified with the son of David. It is no longer I who live, but the son of David who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God, who has become the son of David who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then the son of David died for no purpose. Too often we take Christ to be Jesus' last name. (laughs) No. Christ is his title as the anointed one, as the son of David. Every time, when when Psalm 18 ends, that, that God is shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Jesus is the offspring who is the, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. It's why sometimes I will talk about Jesus, the Christ, because that's just as good a way of saying it as Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Christ. Jesus, the son of David. Jesus, the anointed one who has brought to pass all that Psalm 18 was talking about. And that's why in the outline I gave you, I included the name of Jesus in every part of the outline because Jesus is the one that Psalm 18 is talking about. He is the Lord's anointed. He's the one that this story, that as, as they're singing this at, at David's retirement feast, at their, as they're singing this as David's getting to the, close to the end of his life, they're all undoubtedly thinking, Okay, this, you know, yeah, fine, but this is going to have to, something better is going to have to come, otherwise we're never getting out of this mess. And so in verses 1 to 3, David says, I, I love you, O Lord, my strength, because you are my refuge. I call upon the Lord and he saves me. This serves as the introductory survey of the psalm. Everything else flows out of this. God is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Let me tell you how he delivered me. There's a way in which Psalm 18 fits. and We've seen lots of psalms of refuge in this first part of the Psalter. And there's a way in which they all are flowing out of and back into Psalm 18. This song of the anointed one. I was in trouble. You can think to many times in David's life, whether facing Goliath or having Saul throwing spears at him, being pursued by Saul through the wilderness, fighting against the Philistines. David says he was entangled in the cords of Sheol, the bonds of death. Death seeks to ensnare us. I think sometimes we take this too literally because, sure, there are many times when David was facing death quite literally, but... David's not just referring to Saul's army marching against him. This, he's using language that's intentionally and deliberately open-ended. Because this song wasn't just written to celebrate David. This song was written so that Israel would sing it. It's why it gets put in the Psalter. 
the song was written so that everyone who sings it could include their story in it. Because if all Israel is singing this in David, if, or as Paul says, if I have been crucified with the son of David, if I have, my life has been joined to his, then every time the cords of death, the cords of Sheol come for you, this is your story too. After all, the cords of Sheol entangled me. Does that sound like an army? No, it, it, it sounds like something has me trapped. Have you ever felt trapped? Nowhere to turn, no one to rescue you? There are many ways this can happen. And Psalm 18 invites you to insert your story into the story of David, into the story of Jesus, because Jesus has joined you to, you, to himself, to his story. And in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. Some have said, oh, wait, 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 the temple wasn't built yet. <laughs> David's not talking about the earthly temple. From his temple, he heard my voice. Where is Solomon, David's son, said, heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built. So would we really expect Solomon's father to be so like, oh, my God lives in a, in a building built with, with wood and stone. No, David understands just as well as Solomon. David understands. My God hears from heaven his holy temple. And the earthly tabernacle and the temple that David's planning on, is, is planning for is a shadow and a picture of that heavenly dwelling. And God hears me from his heavenly temple. And notice what happens when God hears the cry of his anointed. God's response rocks the earth, the heavens, and the seas. The earth, the heavens, and the seas are the three realms of creation. When God acts, the creation itself is shaken. The earth reels and rocks, verse 7. The foundations of the mountains quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, fire from his mouth, the heavenly dragon of verse 8. The heavens were, were bowed. The, he flies swiftly on the wings of the wind. Darkness and cloud covered him. You think of all of the, the, the imagery of creation that we used in the call to worship in Psalm 148. It's right back here in Psalm 18. All of this, all of, of the heavens, the earth, and the seas are rocking and reeling because their maker has come to deliver his anointed one. The foundations of the world are laid bare. The channels of the sea are seen. God's blast causes a tsunami that opens up the deeps so we can you know, all the way down to the foundations of under the waters. God moves heaven and earth to rescue his anointed king. What does it mean? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love for his anointed one is because he loves us. He rescues his anointed one because he loves us and he wants his people to come to him and be his. And he rescued me from my enemies, from those who are too strong for me, and brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's what the father said of his son 
And Paul will talk about us as being well-pleasing to God, not because we are so great and wonderful, but because of what Jesus has done for us. We, he now delights in us and rejoices over us and in us. And, and why did God delight in David? And you see this in verse, in verse 20. According to my righteousness, I'm blameless. And this is, again, where you, you come to, you know, like, really, David, you're saying this? I have kept the ways of God. I have not wickedly departed from my God. I was blameless before him, and I kept myself from guilt. Now, note, he's not saying that he is sinless. He is claiming to be blameless and righteous before God. And that's where it's worth remembering that the, the same Paul, who is articulating a doctrine of justification by faith, is rooting this in the principles of Psalm 18 and the rest of the Old Testament. But because before the judgment seat of God, David is innocent. He is legally righteous because his sins are covered. But he's, he's not just talking about his justification. David is saying something more than this. Because when he says, I am righteous, he's also saying, I have devoted myself to living righteously. He doesn't say, my sins are forgiven so I can do whatever I want. No. When David sinned, and yes, he sinned grievously, and there are plenty of psalms that reflect on this. But when David sinned, he repented. And he turned from his sin. Now, if you know anything about the kings of Europe, or for that matter, kings for much any part of human history, you may know that kings have often been very immoral. They imitated David's sins over and over and over. This has been the pattern of human history. How many have imitated David's repentance? How many sinned, but then repented and stopped doing it? You see, that is David's uniqueness. Not that he sinned. That is common for kings, as Ambrose once said. But David repented, and therein lies his uniqueness. When David says, I kept myself from guilt, he's not saying, I never sinned, but that he did not remain in his sin. He turned. David is saying, not only am I righteous before God in positionally, but also I strive to be righteous in my conduct. And God has blessed David and rewarded him according to his righteousness. And it's worth noting uh, throughout David's life, uh, did, did, did David suffer greatly because of his sin? Yeah. Absalom's rebellion never would have happened if it hadn't been for David's sin. Absalom's rebellion was a, a direct consequence of his sin. David recognizes actions have consequences, and, but he's saying now at the end of his life, repentance turns from sin. And note this is because, verses 25 and 26, with the merciful, you show yourself merciful. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the purified, you show yourself pure. And with the crooked, you make yourself seem tortuous. In each of the first three parallels, the verb is based on the same root as the noun. Uh, with the chassid, you show yourself chassid. You know, and, uh, but then with the crooked, the psalmist will not say that God shows himself crooked. Because God is not crooked. 
rather, and I think the ESV has done this rather well, with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. In the words of Gandalf, to crooked eyes truth may wear a wry face. To the one who is bent, the straight appears to be crooked. And this is a challenge for us because we are often tempted to think that we are those who see and walk straight. We need to be careful because as our culture grows more and more bent and twisted, we can become very convinced of simply how right we are. And yet David points us in a different direction in verse 27. For you save a humble people, but the haughty eyes you bring down. When we march into a situation thinking we have all the answers, we're not likely to be very useful. Uh, I say this as one who has done that more times than I wish to admit. But David says that God saves a humble people. Do we trust God? Are we content with his wisdom and strength? David says, it is you who light my lamp. Uh, Wisdom themes. The Lord my God lightens my darkness and strength. For you, I can, by you, I can run against a troop, and by my God, I can leap over a wall. There's, there's actually a pretty good argument that this probably originally said, I can leap over a bull, because bull leaping was actually a custom among ancient kings before this time, but it it died out with the Bronze Age collapse, so nobody knew about it afterwards, and so it made no sense, and they seem to have changed the word. But, at any rate, bull leaping. It was basically a way of proving proving how, you know, you think think of the running of the bulls and such. You are are going to prove your manliness by leaping over a bull. I mean, that's, yeah, so. um, But, As David says, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. His way is perfect. Uh, David's not saying that, oh, God's ways always fit what I want. His way is perfect. David endured many years of suffering before he was exalted. Jesus endured 30 years of tribulation and affliction before going to the cross and only After the cross was the word of the Lord proved true as God raised him up from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Will you take refuge in the Lord? As long as you're sitting there thinking, well, maybe I'll I'll think about it. You're not taking refuge in the Lord. As long as you're saying, I'll trust Jesus and something else. Then you're not actually trusting Jesus. Now, to be clear... Trusting Jesus will involve doing many things. And so that's where it's trusting Jesus will, as we we saw a few weeks ago, if if you're dealing with depression, trusting Jesus doesn't mean you'll never take medication. Medication may be very useful for helping you deal with your depression. But trusting Jesus will mean, I trust him. And so I will do whatever I am called to do in order to trust him and follow him, which may mean taking medication. Trusting Jesus means relying entirely on him, resting in his strength day by day, moment by moment, in everything you do. I had a good talk with the junior high boys on Wednesday about the importance of of loving God and trusting him while they're playing computer games on a break. You can trust God well while you're playing computer games. 
Now, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we get selfish and uh, we ignore God and we forget Him. But you can. I mean, any anything you do in life, you can trust God well. And if you can't, maybe that suggests you shouldn't be doing it. But, but God is the one who equips me with strength. He is the one who made my way blameless. David says he trains my hands for war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. I mean, now think, think of, I mean, if, if your bow is made out of bronze, you're going to bend that? You're going to bend a bow of bronze? This is talking about superhuman divine strength. We're getting some clues here that, that David understands that, just like we saw in Psalm 16, David understands there has got to be something beyond me, otherwise the story just continues on in a cycle of futility forever. And then verses 35 to 42 speak of what David did with this divine strength as God as God supported him, as God strengthened him, as God's gentleness made him great, David overthrows his enemies. Now, verse 41 may call for special comment that they cried to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Plainly, David does not think that their cry to the Lord was very sincere. They were not crying to God out of humility or faith, and God did not answer them. And part of it is, they were opposing the Lord's anointed. They were fighting against the Christ and then trying to call out to God to save them. And that's where it's like, okay, you're opposing the Lord's anointed, but then you ask the Lord to save you. If, if you wanted salvation, you would, put, you would do what Psalm 2 says and kiss the son and submit to him and bow your knee to, to, to the Lord's anointed. In that sense... The controlling phrase goes back to verse 26. With the purified you show yourself pure, and with the crooked you make yourself seem tortuous. God has promised David that his offspring would inherit the nations. God's purpose in history is to bring humanity to himself in the person of his son, and he will rule the nations with a rod of iron. And so in the end, David says, verses 43 to 45, the nations yielded. Foreigners came cringing. They they came falling down before David. And this is a remarkable moment. When you study the ancient Near East, I mean, David was born during the Bronze Age collapse. The Mycenaeans, the Egyptians, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, all the great empires of the ancient world fizzle out simultaneously. It's fascinating study, but that's, that, that's for my history classes. Um, but God arranges all of history so that David would arise at just the moment when there's no superpower around. So the itty-bitty kingdom of David and Solomon could thrive and the nations around them wind up bowing to David because he's the big, bo- the big boy on the block now. Couldn't have happened any other century in ancient history. And God continues to arrange all of history, which, now, it's worth noting the people who lived in it didn't understand all that was going on. Many things we only understand. I mean, it's, why, it's why historians often say, you can't write history of what's going on in the last five, ten years. We don't, you, you need some perspective. And that's where the problem for us <laughs> is that we keep living in the present. And so how do we make sense of where we are and what's going on? 
part of how we make sense of where we are and what's going on is by seeing what Psalm 18 is saying about the way God works in history. God continues to arrange all of history in some very strange ways. I think we could all agree on that. And as long as we try to sit in judgment over God and tell Him how badly He's messed up, we will never see what He is actually doing. Because if if you think that you know better than God, then you're not approaching Him with humility. You're not trusting in Him. You're not taking refuge in Him. And so that's why... David, indeed, our Lord Jesus, as he sings this, approaches with humility, the one who said, into your hands I commit my spirit. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance. Remember, vengeance is not a bad thing. We are very bad at vengeance. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. And And that's where you start to see the Lord's anointed, when, when the son of David is the son of God, then he's the one who can bring vengeance properly and make things right. This is, so yes, this is David's story, but it was also sung for a thousand years as Israel's story. And so it's also the story of Jesus as the righteous one whom God strengthened to do battle against his and our foes. He is the one who has triumphed. He is the one who has been exalted and now praises the name of the Lord among the nations. Great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and to his offspring forever. And so we sing Psalm 18 as those who have been united to Jesus, for whom we can say, that I have been crucified with the Son of David, and it's no longer I who live, but the Son of David who lives in me. Because our warfare will differ in outward manifestation from David. We are not engaged in hand-to-hand combat with flesh and blood. But we are engaged in hand-to-hand combat with the principalities and powers. We do battle with the powers of sin, death, and the devil. And not just in our private, personal lives. You deal with this at work. When you've you got that annoying person at work you've got to deal with. Well, that's, that's spiritual warfare. Your character, your conduct, your relationship with your neighbors are a part of the way in which the kingdom of God advances. So why do we love the Lord? Because he is Jesus' refuge and mine. Because he has heard Jesus' cries and saved us from our enemies. Because he has moved heaven and earth and the seas in order to rescue Jesus and me. Because he is a righteous and merciful judge for Jesus and me. Because he gives Jesus and me strength against my foes. And because he is faithful to his promises, to Jesus and to me forever. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us and help us because we forget these things and we need need your great mercy and your great love. Help us to humble ourselves before you and, and trust you, take refuge in you, find our rest and our satisfaction in you day by day, moment by moment hour by hour, for Jesus' sake. Amen.